all these amazing people together, just that energy, those, you know, sort of days where uh, you hear amazing stories, you meet amazing people. Um, I think that just gives uh, that drive to continue to push forward. G'day and welcome to episode 16 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Today's guest has worked across Europe, America, and she's been instrumental in growing a global community of businesses, startups, investors, and governments to support a sustainable food system. For those of you who it's your first time joining, welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. And for anyone who's returning, thanks for tuning in again. Sharon Shatoni has been listed by Forbes in 2018 as one of the powerful women shaping the future of food. She believes in the importance of collaboration and sees her role as being one of the connectors to create opportunities for others. One thing I absolutely love about Sharon is she's so incredibly humble. She's walked shoulder to shoulder with former US President Barack Obama. But when I asked her about what some of her wow moments were, she actually mentioned the satisfaction she gets through working with businesses and connecting the right people to get something done. As you'll find out through our conversation, she's been surrounding herself with a group of amazing young thought-provoking people. And I was fortunate to spend six months working alongside Sharon last year. Sharon is very much a realist and she talks of the importance of getting the economics right in order to achieve the bigger picture goals. We talk about some of the new innovations and the role of innovators in the food system more broadly. I know Sharon knows so much about the whole ecosystem. So I thought I'd probe her and see what her thoughts were on what was happening in the education space and what advancements are happening and learnings from COVID. We touch on tourism and the domestic travel prospects, both in Italy and maybe a bit of my dream for Australia. Her purpose is to achieve the world we live in and she's going about achieving this through producing and promoting sustainable projects alongside her expertise. Enjoy the chat. Is there a moment that kind of sticks out to you or you can choose a couple that is just like, how cool is that? It kind of nearly seems surreal. Yes. Um, to do what I do, I think I look at it as a privilege. So there are certain individuals that have come across my life uh, that are so inspiring um, that sort of gave me that whoa moment. And it really wasn't about presidents as much as uh, innovators or uh, shapers. So obviously um, I have some sort of favorite individuals, some, you know, those meetings that sort of um, seem to, to heighten your senses and to, um, give you those kind of butterflies in your stomach. Um, and one of them, uh, for me has been, uh, Howard Shapiro, for example, uh, just because looking at, uh, an individual that has dedicated his life, uh, into, you know, shaping the future of agriculture, um, uh, but with such a, you know, uh, a fantastic mind. So whenever I come across people like that, uh, those are my sort of wow moments. Um, and also whenever I was able to connect the right people to get something done. 
So when you know that your work, your purpose um, is doing good in a way, and obviously with the work that I do, which a lot of, a lot of it is connecting people and building um, an ecosystem, uh, that tends to happen frequently, right? Whether it's helping a startup or um, seeing an idea sort of um, being born and then, you know, grow. Uh, and I've seen a lot of companies throughout the year, a lot of startups become uh, established um, companies and generate revenue, but also um, shaping, you know, into something that is positive uh, for a collective. Uh, that gives me obviously great pride. Um, and obviously when you build, you know, an event and you were, you know, there with, with me, obviously at global, you know, global table, but, you know, have, having done that for, you know, five, uh, five years with seeds and chips, every time that you get all these amazing people together, just that energy, those, you know, sort of days where uh, you hear amazing stories, you meet amazing people. Um, I think that just gives uh, that drive to continue to push forward. Uh, so I think I'm very fortunate to, to meet people like that um, and to be a part of it. And it's a really interesting one. Like this is where agriculture and food, and this is why I just love it so much is because there's just so much purpose behind what people do, but also the, the opportunity to touch like every aspect of our lives is insane. Like when you start to, if you draw a mind map and put agriculture at the center with a person, and then you start to look at what the links are, it's everything, everything in our yeah. life. You know, when we look at agriculture, I mean, it's, it was the birth of civilization is the way we, you know, we sustain ourselves. So there's nothing more important than that. Right. We can live with pretty much, um, without pretty much everything, but we cannot live without food or water. Yeah. And it's definitely something that's really been highlighted through, um, th through the COVID pandemic is like we saw supermarket shelves, the staples like your pasta and rice, like all these things were just completely cleared out. People were, when it comes to food and, and there's this uncertainty, like it creates, people are terrified and no matter how much encouragement you can give them. Like for us in Australia, we, we've got more than enough food. We're a net exporter. We, yeah, we're safe when it comes to that level, but people just don't understand it. And it's exacerbated by what we've seen happen over the last few years with drought and floods. And it's no wonder that when they saw the headlines that supermarket shelves were clearing or, or you walk in there yourself, it is a massive like, Oh shit. Like what's going on. And so you, you move into this mad panic and rush. Was it the same in Italy? No, actually, um, we had no, none of that, you know, well, that's not true. The first day I remember uh, where we sort of heightened um, the COVID um, you know, that were, when it was spreading and they decided to sort of restrict 
certain accesses. Um, supermarkets were emptied out in a day. Uh, but that was that one, you know, couple of days. After that, uh, I think people were just like, what are we doing? You know, we, we can go to the store. You know, they're not going to take our food away. Uh, we did not have any of that toilet paper crap that we've seen all over. <laughs> We're actually pretty funny. Um, I think we were going but, back into it at the moment too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way, you know, I, Italy is one of those countries where we know food is available. Um, we do not have uh, certainly some of the problems that other countries have. We are not the US. We don't have any food deserts. Um, we are also a large producer of, uh, of food. Um, so people were less panicked on their food shopping and more on maybe, you know, trying to get food online. That was, I think, one of the bigger issues for us so we could go out to the supermarkets but obviously if you could have it delivered even better um and what happened was that we went from zero to 100 in in a nanosecond uh and we did not have the digital uh infrastructure if you will to to support that so even, you know, retailers that, you know, had the online, you know, um, delivery method, uh, obviously they, they had it, but for, you know, that percentage of users that would use it, not for all of them. So those were more the issues that we've seen, and that's accelerated, if you will, uh, innovation, um, in, in two months, we probably did the work we should have done, you know, we would have done in 10 years because we had to. Uh, but definitely it was not because we thought we had food shortages. Yeah. And speaking to innovation, just back on the toilet paper point. Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, Go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. If people can't find an alternative for something to use instead of toilet paper, I think we've got a massive, massive deficit in innovation coming through. So. Well, yeah, it depends also on the country. It does. <laughs> And so I suppose on that point around, yeah, around the, the innovation piece, is, are you seeing or, or what have you seen kind of recently and what are kind of some of those hot spots that will be coming up in the next weeks, months and what might have taken five years, we'll see kind of on our doorstep around, yeah, 
innovation around food or, or even just in our community? Uh, well, that's obviously a big aspect. So we can go into specific, let's say verticals. I can say here for sure, um, you know, COVID has taught us a few lessons. Uh, one is the importance of um, a digital uh, infrastructure, if you will, um, that can truly connect you from wherever you are and whether it's, you know, on the retail front to, you know, to food, to finance, to whatever, like, um, so massively and collectively, like improving that aspect, obviously, um, connected life, the connected life. So a lot more people and a lot more businesses are, have seen that it's fine to work from home. It hasn't decreased productivity. Um, but you need to also teach people on how to do that properly, right? To find that balance. So, uh, I think there's going to be uh, there's going to be an increase on sort of the I would say smart city solutions or you know sort of a connective life from smart working. Um, there's tons of stuff that came up in terms of new apps and tools that you can use. Obviously, with after if you've seen um, after what happened with meat plants in the U.S., uh, although we did not have that problem here. Uh, a lot of companies, you know, that were already looking into the plant-based uh, protein or alternative protein space um, are running towards that even more. So that took another accelerated turn. And if, although it did not happen here and it happened in the U.S., companies in Europe um, sort of took a push forward uh, regardless of market. Um, so we cannot forget in a way, um, you know, everything that, you know, COVID has taught us. Um, another one is obviously tourism, right? Travel the, from the um, airline uh, industry all the way to, you know, to, to the economy. So there's a lot of tools and solutions that we can use for, for tourism and that's something that we need to think about um yeah carefully sure. and you know it's how do we we keep that going and also great ideas have surfaced on you know how do we bring the world uh together safely um how do we help industries that took a massive hit so that's definitely something else. But I think every, you know, food has been in a way safe. Although, you know, if, if, if you think of all the industries, you, you know, one will say, oh, well, supermarkets did not lose, you know, so much, right? Uh, which that is not actually true because supermarkets work in volumes. So you might have many, many people inside a store. And with the lockdown, you obviously could not do that. You had a restricted number. So they did take a hit. So looking at solutions for every industry um, and how to solve those problems, I think we, we've been put in front of, you know, the actual uh, deficits in a way that we have. So COVID has put a sort of a mirror in front of us and say, you know, this is what we need to fix. This is what we need to work on today because my 
be COVID free soon, but you never know what can happen. And so one needs to be prepared for every industry, not just around food. And huge hits, like in terms of restaurants, you know, uh, I think we've seen it. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure about Australia, but certainly uh, Europe. And I was talking to a friend of mine in the US and all my favorite and uh, places in so many of my favorite places in New York are closing. Uh, and they've, they've been there for ever. Like, that's sad, you know, that one decides to sort of shut their doors because of what, you know, happened to COVID. So how can we help also the hospitality industry to, to not, you know, close down their doors? The delivery, it's only a tiny percentage of their revenue. So uh, these are, you know, things that we need to think about. I suppose, um, yeah, well, in Melbourne, we've probably the, the hardest thing that has been in the, just the last week was we were going from allowing 20 people to then allowing 50 people in cafes and restaurants and, and pubs and, and that. But over the weekend we had more outbreaks. And so what they did, all these businesses that had gone out and they were buying produce and they were ramping up, they'd done their rostering for staff. They were ready to go for Monday and Sunday came around and the restrictions were actually rolled back. And so there were less people. And so you've got all these businesses that have already taken such a hit for three or four months, they kind of get this glimmer of hope. It's just, yeah, it, it's the volatility in, in the situation we're in now, which is just so sad for these small businesses because they're, they're really the ones that feel it. It's the mums and dads and yep. small people trying to have a crack. Yep. So. And I think that's innovation will always play a big part. Um, you know, I think sometimes in life, you don't think about the problem until you, you know, you sort of hit that, you know, uh, hit it head first. Uh, and we've seen all the cracks we support. How do we help? How do we, you know, make it better? And not because we are, you know, so purposeful or, you know, um, mission driven or we have a huge heart when we think about you know climate change but it's about our economy it's about our livelihood you know so mm. we we need to you know look at you know certain issues and then we can go and have a discussion on you know would covid have happened if you know we had treated our planet a little bit better um maybe not you know, um, certainly there's been a lot of uh, data showing that the impacts and the correlation between COVID and climate change, that's a fact. Um, but those are still those high issues that, you know, they're in the back of people's minds. You know, at the end of the day, they're like, you know, what is happening today? And that's the wrong approach. We can't just focus on what's happening today. We have to focus on what's happening today and what will happen tomorrow because sure. it's all connected. Absolutely. And that's where like Andrew and I were talking about it and drive just the other day. Um, and like the thing with COVID is that we could see it. Like there was that 
immediate danger that if you walk down to the shops or you walk outside your house and you come into contact with it, then the threat's real. But these things that he actually made such a good analogy. He was talking basically like a, he said a frog, I'll use a lobster in a pot of water. It it drops in and it slowly boils and it doesn't realize and there's nothing it can do, but like effectively humans and living organisms are this lobster. And then we've got this increasing temperatures. And the scary thing is that like it's 30 years away and we're a couple of degrees warmer and those, those impacts are going to be serious. And I don't, you know, one thing you, I just don't get is how can you negate it? Like we've seen what the climate changes um, all over the world, right? Um, you see it with fires in Australia. We've seen, you know, crazy storms um, in, in the U.S. We see drought here. We see drought there. Um, I mean, it's real. I mean, I don't remember uh, what true seasons look like. Um, when I was, you know, younger, we had a spring. Now we go from, you know, cold to hot. Yeah. Uh, that's not, you know, those are facts, right? That we are not, we are doing something that is not right. Yeah. Um, and just because we don't, you know, get hit by a tornado, doesn't matter they don't exist. You know, it doesn't mean that they don't exist. You know, so we have to stop thinking that if it doesn't happen to me, then it must not be happening at all. Yeah, it's this whole out of sight, out of mind thing. And there's, so there's a few things I want to loop back to, but I'm going to just jump into this one a bit, a bit more kind of deeply. And it's around, I suppose, these developing countries. And they're the ones who are really going to see the, the impacts of it. And I was chatting with um, a, a small, like an Australian startup, and they're working with tea growers in Sri Lanka. And mm-hmm. like this season, they had this mist, which like the mists normally come and go and they last a few days or, or a week or two, whatever. But it was extensive periods of time. And these people who are already essentially some of the poorest people in the world, they've now got the, the impacts of climate change. They're seeing, they're living it. And it's in their community, it's in their backyard. And they're already disadvantaged, but it's, this flow on effect that nearly the people who are most susceptible to it are the people who are the least to blame or least responsible. And also if you think about certain develop, if you take Africa, for example, uh, they have massive problems, right? Water scarcity, um, their uh, soil, um, let's say, I'll call it, degradation of, of, you know, of soil. Yeah. Um, if, and, and it's a, a lot of it, it's rural communities. They base their livelihoods on agriculture. So if they can't produce their food, you know, uh, and they can't make a living and on their food, what are they going to do? They're going to migrate. Um, and, you know, we keep talking about, you know, 2050, which is honestly more like 2030, uh, not so much for the rise of population, but it's sort of a deadline for us to, to really tackle certain issues if we want to uh, sort of make it. But if you can't produce food in your own, 
you know, if you can't work or eat or drink in your own country, you're going to migrate. Uh, urbanization is going to be a huge issue uh, in 10 years. So most of the rural communities will have to move to cities. Are those cities ready to host an increased population? And if they're not, what are those going to be people going to do? They're going to migrate some someplace else. And in that other place, or is it, you know, does the infrastructure, do, do we have enough for everybody? So that's a big issue. Instead of saying it has to be taken care of so everybody can be, you know, their livelihood is, you know, is where they want to be, not where they have to be. Um, and obviously, I mean, people, and it's not just places like Africa, because one forgets, like, it, it's easier to say the developing world, because that's it, what's in our mind. But we have countries that are certainly not in the developing world that have massive issues. If you look at the United States, the United States have entire towns with no clean water. They have food deserts. They have uh, a huge malnutrition problem because of it, which is not, it's the opposite. It's not the food scarcity, but it's how badly they eat yeah. because food is expensive, creating health problems. So we need to sort of collectively say we need to make it better for everybody because whether one is dying for, you know, obesity or heart disease in one place and the other one is dying because they don't have any food in the other. The problem is still the same. People are dying. Yeah. People are dying because we're not doing enough. And I think like on the water issue, it's, it's happened in Australia. Like last year we had, had this extended drought on the East coast and we had towns in Australia, which didn't have access to clean water. Like it's not this, you say, yeah, developing, countries well effectively areas of rural australia are developing countries and you look at that we've committed to various things like the paris agreement and we we're aligning ourselves to the 2030 goals but if we have a drought come through in 2029 or 2030 here in australia and we've got uh we've got towns that don't have access to water well australia is one of the nations that has failed on its delivery of the goals absolutely Sad. And one must think, you know, what will happen then, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose I, I don't want to dwell on, on that, but I want to talk to some of the innovation. And so this is a, it's probably more of a pipe dream, but this is around the digitization, the innovation we've seen from coronavirus. And you can mm -hmm. shut me down if you like. But so around the education piece and the access to online learning and so some of these regions all over the world, they can get access to internet, but are we potentially going to see a massive revolution in the levels of education of people around the world that will be, I suppose, to thank from COVID? So that's been a big, uh, a big question, right? I mean, there's online, I would say, digitalized learning has been definitely a sector that has raised a lot of money in the past years. Uh, there's great startups that do all sorts of things and also trying to teach kids new skills. Um, I think there is sort of, one has to find a 
uh, a medium of ground because you cannot, education is one of those uh, areas where socializing, it's key. So you can do a lot of things online, but it's still sort of a lonely, um, you know, it's a lonely place. Um, and obviously let's, you know, it's different if you're in, you know, kindergarten or elementary school or if you're in college, but the social aspect of it is, uh, it's very important to me, um, both as a parent, having, you know, raised a daughter um, and certain aspects like, you know, only um, human contact can teach you. So it's not just about what you can learn on a, on a book um or in a you know class so i think you will find uh, a medium ground um it, it won't be all in at least you know i hope not personally no that's it is definitely one thing that, that i miss from work is just being able to once i annoy people once i distract maybe <laughs> Yeah, and, and, we're, and we're already, you know, working, uh, but, you know, kids learn so much just by interacting with one another, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, since there are great, uh, even startups that have amazing online learning programs, uh, they're teaching, you know, K through, you know, year, like, let's say nine uh, whether it's coding or building uh, 3D robotic stuff or, you know, new profession, new skills, uh, whether it's teaching them new languages, you have all of that. But you also need to integrate it in a way that they can then interact with their peers and learn from one another. And so many lessons uh, that are, you know, are taught by interaction, you know, whether it's respect, whether it's, you know, empathy, you, you can't do that with a screen. Yeah. But you learn that in school. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no one solution, is there? We're finally, Sharon, just click the fingers. <laughs> I hope. One wishes. <laughs> so I suppose speaking of experiences as well, though, another one, and you did start to draw on it earlier, but tourism, and I suppose, like, we love it in Australia. And so the optimist in me is I, I went over to Western Australia last year for the first time and the water up, uh, it was Exmouth where you can swim with the whale sharks, the water and the reefs there, you literally just walk off the beach, 20, 30 meters, you're in these massive reefs, jump on a boat and you go out and you swim with these whale sharks. Like it is, there's just some of the most amazing places in the world. And it's like in Australia and it's such an untapped area. Are you guys going to see it as well? in Italy that hopefully the local tourism scene picks up and we start to learn a bit more about our backyards. So we don't have, uh, that problem here. Um, actually Italy is, you know, a, it's small. Yeah. So, uh, and, and there is a lot of tourism. Yes. A lot of people may go, you know, take a trip to, you know, the U S or they go to Bali or whatever that may be. But, Tourism in Italy has always been very big and full of Italians. Uh, but I think we will have this year, we, 
you know, people will be less likely to jump on a plane and go to the U.S. for sure, but, you know, other places. Uh, and there's going to be a lot more domestic travel. Uh, Italians are not made to not take vacations, so they will. Yeah. Um, and they'll try to do it more locally or at least in the adjoining, you know, countries, you know, whether they go to Greece or Spain but, you know, they'll, they'll localize it to, to Italy and surrounding. And also you want the economy to pick up and you want to do some good. Uh, when I came to Australia, I was um, curious about that because you see these amazing shots and pictures of, you know, places that are just mind-blowing and you know you all told me you know we'd you know rather go to uh places in asia because it's cheaper um and it, it's it's wild to think that okay well, australia is also very big but you have so many amazing places and they're untapped uh, and i really hope for you know for australia's sake that they won't be uh, here in italy there's nothing that's really untapped yeah. yeah, but you guys put me to shame when you came out. You were talking about all these places, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I read. <laughs> I'll just nod and then I'll jump on Google and see. <laughs> I'll see where it is. <laughs> Add it to the bucket list. <laughs> I definitely wanted to take a, a trip to Western Australia. I mean, uh, it looked amazing. It is amazing. very cool. You'll have to come back, Sharon. Oh, absolutely. For the next I love uh, Australia. For the next big adventure, whatever that may be. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's so curious. Everything is so big there. Um, that's one thing that, you know, stuck in my, in my mind. Like, even the same plants that we have here and you have there, in Australia, they're like five times bigger. Really? It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. A couple more things I want to touch off on, and this one's probably, I'd say, a bit more self-serving because... Basically, I, I want your advice on it and it's around humans of agriculture because you, I've seen how well you've been able to build a community and with, with people from all walks of life. And so I suppose just to give you a very, very quick rundown of what humans of agriculture is, it's essentially trying to make agriculture relatable in the world around us. So when people are actually consumers are looking at their food or, or they're starting to look at what their impact is of when they're buying plastic bottles, for instance, or anything they buy, any purchasing decision, how can they start to think and get access to information that may flow on? And obviously it's not for everyone, but I think being able to, an area where we've got opportunity here in Australia is this engagement between producers and consumers and, and bringing them together and creating a community from that. So I suppose, yeah, do you have any advice on how you bring two people or a group together, a community like what you've done with entrepreneurs, but how, how can I bring that community together and start to create it with consumers and producers and entrepreneurs and everyone in between? So there's different answers for different people. So I think consumers need to be taught. Uh, and so definitely whether it's, uh, discussions or communication uh, or simple tips on why something is important. 
Um, so one thing that I, you know, we, we did a little series on on water was, you know, little tips that you can do in your daily life to, you know, preserve water uh, that one might not think. And, you know, you can say why it's important, but also give useful tips to a consumer and have those also discussions and forums where you can sort of see both sides um, and conversations. So, you know, you get a, a producer and a consumer to say, okay, what does everybody expect or want or, you know, would like to see? And that's one aspect. On the actual sort of more B2B side, one thing I always uh, looked at into sort of growing an ecosystem was it can't be one-sided. So I can't go to one organization and ask for something if I'm not, I'm not willing to, to give something back. So how do we create partnerships um, and collaborations uh, that can have, you know, a powerful, let's say, end game, uh, but where we both get out of that happy in a way, right? Uh, and that has to, you know, when you, let's say, you, you, humans of agriculture and you create a mind map of who are the players that you need to get involved. So to each of those, what would you ask? What would you have them do? And what can you do for them? That's the one thing. It's always, what can I do for them? Um, and create and spark that conversation, you know, build a platform where you can truly uh, not just discuss those issues, but hopefully also implement them. And when you hear all the sides, it sort of becomes clear. Yeah, great. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'll jump into that straight after. <laughs> <laughs> and so I suppose, yeah, just before we wrap up, is there, is there an aspect of like how your work has has changed your approach to life or, or certain events that have kind of shaped who you are and, and where you're headed? Yes, I think, um, well, sort of life itself, uh, gives you, if you listen to it, uh, gives you a direction to go to right towards to. So, uh, food has always been a big aspect of my life. Uh, because when I was much younger, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, and at the time it was, you know, it wasn't as common as it is today. So that the fact that I could not properly, uh, assimilate and digest food always made me, uh, a very hungry. Um, but, um, look at food, I would say differently than just, you know, something that it's easy for many to do. Um, it was very hard for me. Um, so food has always been a big aspect of my life and that, you know, sort of throughout the years shaped, uh, possibly the interest I had, uh, later on around the food system. Um, and then when I moved to Italy, uh, that I came again from a, a corporate setting uh, from the U.S. to here, and I looked at the industry I was working in at the time, and I did not like what I saw. It sort of, I, 
I really took some time to say, what do I want to do? You know, and then what do I want to do that can possibly uh, also do some good? So not just for myself, but um, there are so many things that I like to do. There's so many things that I'd like to create a little bit of a difference. It's, you know, I'm nothing but a, a speck of dust in, you know, uh, in this world, but you know, for me, it was sort of taking that, that time to, to, to understand who I was and what I truly wanted to do. I took my little sabbatical and totally changed my life um, with, with difficulties. I was a single mom and uh, raising a kid. And so one thing that you're always looking for is sort of that security, uh, financial security for your, you know, for your child. But not at the expense for me at least to to be unhappy uh to just sort of continue on the path that i was so that was a massive shift for me to go from corporate to sort of risk it with a startup um i wasn't you know 20 i was a little older uh <laughs> and and sort of how do i you know, then keep the things that I, I, I love, like, you know, I'm a big dog lover. So, um, how can I, in, you know, integrate that in my life? So obviously when you're working in a, in a smaller company, you can have your dogs with you. I mean, there were a lot of, let's say perks. So there was perks for me, um, lots of risk and, financial risk at, at the time, which was scary, but also gave me that drive to want to do better, uh, but all with a purpose. So, you know, I think I united, you know, the fact that I, I, I wasn't loving what I was doing. Um, the importance of food shifted me in a way to, to, to do the work that I'm currently doing. Uh, so I think that was a little bit, you know, too aspects to two moments uh that put me on the path i'm on now yeah it's really cool i don't know someone who you're definitely the most well-connected person i've ever met but in terms of the impact and purpose but like what what's so admirable about you sharon is that it's like it's so much bigger than just yourself and so you're taking your little posse which is growing but your, your posse out of Milan and Italy and then like you you're helping them become better people and you're you've then come across into Australia and everyone who got to work with you last year like you had an impact on on every one of us and I think it's left everyone kind of aspiring to do more and do more good I suppose uh, as part of that so it's been very cool that makes me very happy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and you're having a lot of fun while you do it too which go i reckon that's the best part isn't it mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely you have to have a you know fun but one thing i learned is you know that at the end of my life i want to look back and of course I, there's going to be like oh shit i should have done that but <laughs> at the end of the day you know uh even the bad is is for something one thing i did not want to you know, have is regret and saying, I've, you know, I've done a job that I hated, uh, or I've done nothing, uh, 
I've, I've done it only for myself. You know, th- those are two things that for me were, you know, out of the question. Um, so I'll take the good and the bad, but as long as there's a, you know, I can use my brain and my creativity uh, for something good. Well, that's it for another week. Episode 16 is done and it's just crazy how they keep ticking over. You can follow us at humansofagriculture underscore on Instagram. Reach out to me, ollie at humansofagriculture.com. And next week, I'm looking forward to doing something a little bit different. I'm chatting to another couple of young podcasters over in Western Australia. You may have come across the Generation Ag Girls who are having conversations with people from right across Australia. And there is a lot of synergies between us. Anyway, tune in next Wednesday. Have a good one.